Well, morning, everybody. Pastor Phil, once again here at New Life in Christ Church in Cedar Creek, Texas. And I uh, want to welcome you to our online service. And uh, before we get into this, I um, want to uh, just make a couple announcements. We have our website, which is nlicedarcreek.org. Um, from there, you can find our uh, links to our YouTube page, which please uh, subscribe, and then you will be able to you'll receive notifications whenever we post a new video. Um, and then uh, also you'll find our link to our Facebook page. And if you like that, then the same same idea. Every time we post something, you will be notified. Um, I believe. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think so. And the, But it will be easier for you to make contact with us if you desire to do so. Um, also, we have three ways to give now as a church. You can text, uh, which the, the number will be on the screen in the bottom right-hand corner. Uh, or you can click on the link in this video description underneath the video. Uh, then there's also uh, giving by mail, which we have our... Um, our physical or our postal address that you can find on there. And then also, if you have any prayer requests or you know people that need, or need a prayer, please uh, send them our way. We will be happy to pray for them. Our, our, our prayer team is faithful to um, pray and seek the will of God in, in uh, matters that people present to us. And so uh, we look forward to that. Let's uh, go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into worship. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your presence. And I thank you, Lord, for your hand. I thank you, Father, that you are working behind the scenes and, and what is going on in the nation right now and also the world by extension. And we pray, Father God, that you uh, continue to promote revival. I ask, Lord, that you continue to prepare people's hearts to receive um, Jesus, to receive the truth of Jesus, um, that uh, many may be saved, Lord. That is your desire. That is your heartbeat in this earth. And I ask, Father, that you would bless our time together and bless the worship and the word said you inhabit the praises of your people. It is your great desire to um, uh, engage with us as we worship you. And I thank you, Lord, for that great honor. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Praise God. You came to set the captives free. You came to bring us liberty. my sin and my rejection that your blood and my acceptance now i'm alive to bring you praise where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom every chain is broken through you where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Your grace empowers me to win. My pain and my oppression met your blood and my acceptance. And now I'm alive to bring you praise. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
Every chain is broken through you, Jesus. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Whoa. Jesus, 
There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, 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 to break every chain. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. Oh, to break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. All sufficient sacrifice so freely given, such a price bought our redemption. Heaven's gates swing wide. All So freely given, such a price bought, our redemption, heaven's gates swing wide, swing wide. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. To break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. Let's sing that verse again. Sing it as a declaration over this nation. As to declare. As a reminder in the spirit that there is power in the name of Jesus. 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 To break every chain, to break every chain, 
to break every chain. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. To break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. To break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. intercession now for this land, for these people. I pray, Lord, for our hunger. You prophesied over your people in the Old Testament that you would stir up a hunger, but not a physical hunger, but a hunger for the Word of God. Lord, I ask that you stir up a similar hunger now in this land. Spirit, 
Your spirit, oh God, your spirit, oh Lord. Latter rain in these times, Lord, let your spirit rain on down. Let your spirit rain on down. Oh, where your spirit is, there is freedom. Where your spirit is, there is liberty. Purify our hearts, O oh Lord. Oh, examine our hearts, O oh Lord. Oh, you search the earth for hearts that are loyal to you. Examine our hearts, O oh Lord. an anchor for my soul. 
Your name 
hope. Your name 
greater Lord. All my hope is in you. You alone are worthy. Your name alone is greater. Your name is greater. There is power in your name. Your name is greater, Lord Jesus, than anything. Your name is greater than any sickness. Your name is greater than any hate. Oh, your name is greater than any excuse. Your name is greater than any denial. Your name is greater than any poverty. Your name is greater than any disease. Your name is greater than any oppression. Oh, Jesus, I cry out to Oh, I call upon your name, oh, Jesus, your name is higher, your name is greater, all my hope is in you, your word unfailing, your promise unshaken, all my hope. there is hope. There is hope in the promise of the cross. You gave everything to save the world you love. And this hope is an anchor for my soul. Our God will stand unshakable our God will stand unshakable thank you for everything Lord I could never thank you enough Now there's nothing 
world that could ever satisfy through every trial my soul will sing no turning back I've been set free Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. Everything I need is in you. Everything I need. joy of my salvation and this hope will never fail heaven is our home through every storm my soul will say Jesus is here to God be the glory Christ is enough for me Christ is enough for me everything I need is
No turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross, the cross before me. The world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me. The world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. Because I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back, no turning back, no turning back. Because I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back, no turning back, no turning. No turning back, no turning back. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I ask you to help me speak the word today. I can't do it without your grace. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Praise God. Well, um, sometimes during worship, you find yourself being led by God as to what to sing and to what to pray for because you can certainly pray while you are singing, worshiping God. And uh, then other times you are just singing out your heart to Him. 
And uh, it doesn't matter if you are a great singer. God just wants sincerity. And so, you know, I mean, you see, I make tons of mistakes up here. But it's not about looking good. It's not about sounding good all the time. It's, it's, it's never about just sounding good. It's, it's, about, it's about engaging with God. Um, meeting with God and singing to Him and singing out gratitude, singing out praise, choosing to praise Him and lift Him up. And um, I mean, I've come to the conclusion that the only reason that some people are better singers than others is because, you know, it's just about leadership. It's just about being able to lead. But the people who are being led are just as important as who is leading. And so, you know, praise God. So, um, you know, I'm going to go ahead and pray one more time. Uh, Father, <clears throat> I do lift up the nation and, and, I, and I, I pray, Father God, that you would calm people's heart when they seek after you. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would give them answers to the questions they're asking, that you would send people across their path, laborers across their path, laborers into your harvest to um, speak that right word in due season, speak what they need to hear at that moment. They may not always like what they need to hear, but I pray, Father God, that you would um, maintain that witness that we've been talking about, maintain that witness that you have in the earth. And I thank you so much that you're, you're, you can do things, you can plan things, you can, you can create appointments, you can you can um, bring about resolutions seemingly out of nowhere. People pray and they cry out to you and they cry out to you and they cry out to you and suddenly there you are, the answer. So I thank you, Father. Once again, I ask for your grace, your ability to cooperate with, to be able to bring this word out and make it relevant and uh, make it pleasing to your ear and helpful to all of us who are hearing it. And I thank you, Father, and I praise you. And in Jesus' mighty name, amen. <clears throat> in East Africa, deep in the hill country of south-central Ethiopia, live several million coffee-growing people who, though divided into different tribes, share a common belief in a benevolent creator they call Magano, which is their name for God. That word means omnipotent creator of all that is. But sadly for them, they believed that they had lost close enough ties with God to pray directly to him and find out more about him. But at least one man from the Gadeo tribe of these people did pursue a personal response from the omnipotent creator of all that is. His name was Warasa Wange, and he came from a town called Dilla located on the edge of Gadeo tribal land. How did he approach God? What did he do? He, he gave a simple prayer asking God, Magano, to reveal himself to the Gadeo people. Warasa got a speedy response. Startling visions took his brain by storm. He saw two white-skinned strangers come to the edge of his hometown in a vision and pitch tents for themselves under the shade of a large sycamore tree. He had, uh, he had never seen tents before. The vision went on. Warasa saw the white men later build more permanent shiny roof buildings 
And eventually, the buildings dotted the whole hillside. He had never seen those kinds of buildings as well. All the houses in his hometown had grass roofs. Then in the vision, Warasa heard a voice. These men, it said, will bring you a message from Magano, the god you seek. Wait for them. In a final scene of the vision, Warasa saw himself remove the center pole from his own house, which in his culture, that pole represents a man's very own life. And he saw himself carry that center pole out of the town and set it in the ground next to one of the shiny roof dwellings of the strange men. Warasa understood what it meant. His life must later stand in identification with those strange men, their message, and with Magano who had sent them, or who would send them. Warasa waited. Eight years passed. Then one very hot day in December 1948, a Canadian named Albert Brandt and his colleague Glenn Kane lurched over the horizon in a battered old international truck. Their mission? To begin missionary work for the glory of God and Jesus Christ among the Gadeo people. They had hoped to gain permission from Ethiopian officials to locate their new mission at the very center of the Gadeo region, but locals who wanted them to succeed in preaching Jesus advised Brant and Cain that that request would be sure to be refused because of the current politics and mess going on in that land. Instead, with a wink, they said, ask only to go as far as this town called Dilla. It is quite distant from the center of that tribe. Those opposed to your mission will think you couldn't possibly influence the entire tribe from there. Brett and Cain took this advice. There it is, Brett said to Cain over the sound of the truck's engine. It's only the very edge of the Gadeo population, but it will have to do. With a sigh, he turned the old international truck toward the town of Dilla. Cain wiped sweat from his brow. This is a hot one, Albert, he said. I hope we can find a shady spot for our tents. Look at that old sycamore tree, Brant responded, just what the doctor ordered. Brant revved the truck up a rise toward the sycamore. In the distance, Warasa Wange heard the sound of the truck's engine. He turned just in time to see Brant's old truck pull to a stop under the sycamore's spreading branches. Slowly, Warasa headed toward the truck, wondering. Three decades later, Warasa, now a believer in Jesus Christ, together with Albert Brandt and others, counted more than 200 churches among the Gadeo people. These churches averaged more than 200 members each. With the help of Warasa and other villagers from Dilla, almost the entire Gadeo tribe has been influenced by the gospel of Jesus Christ today. It's a true story. I read it as a paraphrase from a book called Eternity in Their Hearts by Don Richardson. And that book is filled with dozens of stories of missionaries who went to places in the world where the gospel had never been preached, only to be shocked by native people waiting eagerly for someone to tell them about the creator God and his son. There are volumes filled with eyewitness accounts of this happening all over the world. Since Jesus told us to be his witnesses in the earth, and then he ascended to the Father. This has been happening. It happens so much that anthropologists get confused, frustrated, and end up shrugging their shoulders and calling it the sky god phenomenon. And as the author of the book put forward, God has prepared the church to spread the gospel, but he has also prepared the world to receive it. And you know, when I first read in the story how the Gadeo tribe referred to God as Megano, it bothered me a bit because it's like, that's not, that's a, that's a, it seems like a strange name to apply to God. But then, you know, I had to take into account that the fact that Megano is not a name 
It's a title. You know, we call him God, but God is not his name. That's his title. It's not a name, you know. And even the Jews who, re who he revealed himself to, they never referred to him as, you know, as God and with our English word God. Their word is Adonai. It means Lord. Actually, it means lords. It's actually plural, you know, which kind of hints the, to the fact that even that early on, God was, was letting the, the Jews know that he is Trinity. He is uh, three in one. And so that, that word Adonai, again, that's a title. That's not a name. It just it means Lord. And to the Gideo people that I read to you about, their title Magano means the omnipotent creator of all that is. Well, is God omnipotent? Yeah, he's all-powerful. Is he the creator of all that is? Yes, he is. So then he certainly lives up to the title. And you know, the only reason I said all that is so that we understand that when these people responded to the gospel, they responded to the one true God and his son, Jesus Christ. And now to the reason I told the story. A common response that you hear today when people are told that Jesus is the only way their usual response is to ask, well, what about people who live in remote places who have never even heard of God? And then they never get a chance to hear, to, to hear about Jesus. Is it, then it's not fair that they go to hell. Well, the answer to that question is, is found both by experience and what we just talked about. And then also in the book of Acts, which tells us that God has not left himself without a witness in the earth. And I mean, we are, we are witnesses of Jesus Christ on the earth, and we are here present, but then... There are many other uh, things that God considers as evidence of him all throughout the earth. And, you know, um, <clears throat> this means then that God has every contingency worked out and no one ever lives or dies on this earth without a chance to get themselves right with him. As we you know, mentioned last week, no one who goes to hell will not deserve to go there. In fact, we all deserve to go there, but God has sent us this lifeline in his son, Jesus Christ, when he didn't have to. And so, you know, he, prov he provides and he maintains this witness in the earth, even in cases where a group of people is in such denial of the truth for so long that they can no longer tell the difference between right and wrong. You know, we, we, we talk often, we go often to uh, the book of Genesis, and we see that man ate from the, knowledge of the, the, or from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So then we all have this inherent knowledge of good and evil. We know that there is good and that there is evil. And most people can easily differentiate these things. But then there are cases that we find in the earth where people have gone so far and, and for so many generations have denied the truth of God that they actually literally cannot tell the difference between right and wrong. So let's go ahead and turn over to the book of Jonah, and we're going to read something about that. And uh, you know, the title of today's message is God's Witness in Nineveh, because we find this city of Jonah being possibly judged in the city of um, Nineveh in the book of Jonah, excuse me. Got ahead of myself. Jonah is toward the end of the Old Testament a little four-chapter book. And so, you know, a little background um, on those for, for those of you who don't uh, 
who aren't familiar with the book of Jonah, um, I mean, most people, you know, know the story, that, you know, we refer to it as Jonah and the whale. Actually, the Bible doesn't say it was a whale. It's, it's, it specifies that it was a big fish. Didn't have to be a whale. Could have been a whale. May not have been a whale. The main person in this book is Jonah himself. And Jonah was a prophet that served God during the time when Israel still had kings. And, uh, you know, God sends him to prophesy against this, this nation of Assyria. That's a northern uh, neighbor of Israel. And, it, and uh, specifically, he sent him to speak against the city of Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria. And this nation of Assyria had done terrible, terrible things to God's people. Uh, very terrible. I won't get into all that, but, you know, you would think that Jonah would be happy to go prophesy against them. It's like, oh, we're going to go judge this. We're going to speak a judgment against this nation, against, this, against the capital of this nation that has been so terrible to our people. Instead of going and doing what God tells him to do, he runs away from God, which seems strange, but we'll see why as we get to the end of the story. So let's start at the beginning of the book. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Now, when God says great in this context, he doesn't mean great as in good. He means great as in large, big. So, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. So, now, you find a pattern. This is just a little side note. You find a pattern in the Old Testament where uh, God as the just judge, when people, if, if there was a particularly wicked area where people were just doing terrible things, what would happen is there is an outcry against it because of the terrible things it's doing to the people around them. And, what, and God, has talk, God talks about how that out, an outcry will reach his ears. Now, he already understands everything that's going on in the earth. He knows everything. But if there's enough of an outcry, there's enough of a petition, God will do something about that. That's why God tells us in his word to pray. So when he, he hears these, this, he, he hears this outcry, we see other examples in the Old Testament. We won't go there, but God will say things like, I, I have come down to see how wicked it is. Now, God already knows how wicked it is, but he's coming down to see it. Okay? You may, you, you know, uh, uh, you may be aware, like if you're, if you're in your house and someone walks in and you say your back is to the door, someone walks in, you be, you're aware that somebody walked in. You might even know who it is by the sound of their keys or because they're coming home at a certain time. But what are you going to do? You're still going to turn around to see them come in. So God is not doing this because he's unaware, but simply because he, he, he goes through this process of actually seeing it. Okay, So, verse 3, But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish, which is um, modern-day Spain, ancient name for Spain. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. 
Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? So now they're putting him under the fire. (laughs) Verse 9, Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Now, notice this, this, there's, this is something that is uh, cropped up again here. God give, he, gives God, he gives God's title, the Lord. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. So he doesn't, he doesn't give them, these people his name. He doesn't give them God's name. And instead, he says, I, I, I worship Adonai, the Lord. Okay. Verse 10. The sailors were terrified when they heard this. For he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, What should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. O Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power. And they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. So a few things to note here. First of all, Jonah, he takes this detour from God and then he gets into this storm that God sends. And as a result, these sailors turn to the one true God. See, God can make even our mistakes produce some good results as long as we stay true to him. If Jonah had misrepresented God to them, they may have misunderstood God. But to Jonah's credit, he explained who God is. He's the Lord. He, 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 made, the, he made the sea and the land. He made, you know, he's, he's the one. And you know, that's a brave thing to do considering that the only way to get rid of the storm was to allow these guys to throw him overboard. He understood that. And, you know, that's, that's, that's brave. So, so you know, uh, we give Jonah some credit for that. The next thing is, is that Jonah was swallowed by a fish. Okay, there are mockers out there who single out this story for some reason and claim that the Bible is false because Jonah would have been digested by the fish and died. That's just ridiculous. A man can't survive three days inside a fish. As if a man being crucified and rising from the dead is any less likely. No, with God, things are always miraculous when he's trying to get people's attention. He does impossible things on purpose to get people's attention. You know, because if things like this happened every day, it would stop getting people's attention because there wouldn't be anything out of the ordinary about it. God is in the business of getting people's attention so that they will turn to Jesus and be saved. And speaking of getting people's attention, if God didn't get Jonah's attention with that storm, I think that he probably did with this fish. Okay, 
So now understand there's some symbolism involved in this because to the Jews, going underwater symbolizes death. You know, we, we, uh, you know we, we have things in our culture that symbolize things to us. You know, I can't necessarily think of any right now. I mean, we, I mean in, in a church setting, we take, uh, <clears throat> we take communion. We take a, a wafer and some juice. And those symbolize the body and the blood of Christ. And it's a reminder, it's a visual reminder to us of what Jesus did for us on the cross. In the same way to the Jews, going underwater is a, a visual reminder of death. So keep that in mind. And we're going we're gonna to read what Jonah says. He prays this prayer. It's a very poetic prayer. When he's inside the fish, I suppose he had a lot of time to think about how, what he was, how, how poetic he was going to write this prayer to God. Uh, but he says a lot of things. So what I want you to do as we read this is I want you to pay close attention to what he says right before the fish spits him out, right before God commands the fish to spit Jonah out. Because there's a certain thing that, that Jonah says that, that God responds to by commanding the fish to spit Jonah out. <clears throat> so let's go ahead and look at this. So Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish, he said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord, my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods and turn their backs, excuse me, Anne, I'll read that again. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. And I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Verse 10 said, Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. So Jonah makes this declaration to God from inside a fish, you know, the very last thing he said was that salvation comes from the Lord alone. But, but if, you, if you look at the line right before that, because it says, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone, there, there's a reason, you know, because my salvation. You know, you can replace that word for with because. Because my salvation comes from the Lord alone. So the line before that is, I will fulfill all my vows for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. I will fulfill my vows to God because He alone can save me. You ever wonder why God seems to pursue certain people more intensely than others? I mean, I mean how many people in history have we seen that God actually throws a storm at them to get their attention? Why did God go to such great lengths to get this man's attention? Well, what kind of vows has he made to God? What kind of vows have other people made to God? God takes vows very seriously. 
And if I make a vow to God, that gives him some grounds to make sure that I fulfill my vow. If I, if I fail to fulfill my vows to God, I might end up in a much worse place than inside the belly of a fish. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. What was the message? Announce my judgment against this city because I've seen how wicked the people are. In other words, God's going to destroy the city with everyone in it. Verse 3. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This always amazes me. These people were not seeking God. They were not looking for him. Yet they recognized who God is. Jonah didn't even issue a call of repentance. The message is, was simply, God's going to destroy this city in 40 days. The people of Nineveh repented on their own. And I, my, you can't prove this out in Scripture, but my personal belief was that God probably prepared their hearts for that message in some way before Jonah got there. See, God's our co-laborer. He works together with us. And, you know, their choice to repent would have been much easier in that case. Let's go ahead and read to the end. It's a, it's a short book. Maybe a really even short message. <laughs> Chapter 4. It says, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. So what's the answer to why he ran away? Because he wanted the city to be destroyed. He, knew, he said, God, you are eager to spare people. You're eager to, when they repent, to, to forgive them. I don't want you to forgive these people. I want you to destroy this city. He figured as long as he's not there, the city's going to get destroyed. God doesn't operate that way. 
God always gives a warning. So verse 3 again, he said, Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. So, you know, Jonah, Jonah suspects, he has this suspicion, you know, when God says, go, I want you to go to the city and tell them that I'm going to destroy it because I've seen how wicked the people are. And in the back of Jonah's mind, he's like, you know what? I'll bet you anything that God, is, God wants to relent, that God does not want to destroy these people. He was right. He was right. And you know, God is eager to turn back from destroying people. He's still the same. We serve the same God in these last days. He's eager to turn, to turn back from destroying people. We've been talking about tri the tribulation and the judgment that's coming upon the earth. God is eager to avert that for people. I mean, the tribulation will still occur. But not everybody will be equally affected by it. God's eager to turn back from destroying people. And you know, anyone who says out loud that Jesus is their Lord and believes in their heart, God has raised them from the dead, they're saved. God has eagerly turned back from destroying them. I'm glad he was so eager to do that for me. Amen. Now, here's, here's where we see why God spoke to that city the way he did. Verse 5 again. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city, and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, Jonah arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Okay, so I want you to, I want to direct your attention to something. Not only does, see, because Jonah, Jonah ran away from God's message. He ran away from what God had called him to do because he didn't want these people to experience uh, a rescue. He didn't want them to uh, he didn't want God to change his mind about destroying them. So what did God do? He, he sent a storm after Jonah, prepared this fish for Jonah, because God is trying to redirect his path to get him back on to what, to, 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 to be obedient to what God has called him to do. Okay? Uh, what vows have, has Jonah made to God? Probably vows to promise to deliver God's messages. You know, I mean, as a prophet, that's probably what he did can't say for sure, but apparently those vows were somehow linked to what God is telling him to do here. And, and he, so, so yeah, Jonah, okay, Jonah's, Jonah's obedient, okay, he's finally obedient, but there's a scripture in the Old Testament that says those who are willing and obedient will eat the good of the land. Okay, those are two different things. Jonah is obedient, but he's not willing He's not willing to go there because he knows that these people are going to repent and that their city is not going to be destroyed. So, so God is not interested simply in getting us to obey. He also wants us to be willing. He also wants us to change our heart. 
Because what is God telling him? God is putting him through discomfort here. He's allowing Jonah to go through some discomfort to, to make a point. He's already asked Jonah. If Jonah had responded correctly, he wouldn't have had to go through this scorching east wind business. Because God said, is it right for you to be angry about this? Is it right for you to be angry that I would be willing to spare these people if they repent? So, so you see, God is, God is now also, he's, he's turned him around to be obedient, but he's also attempting to turn him around to be willing. So he says down here, uh, it says uh, in verse 9, see, this is after he's upset. Death is certainly better than living like this. He's upset about the east wind. The plant's gone. He's mad about it. Verse 9 says, Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Now God's going to get to his point. Now he's, he's really going to dig in here. Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Verse 10, Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? So even though God's message to that city was not one of hope, God knew that the city would respond by repenting, and apparently Jonah understood that too. And what, what was the purpose? Why did God say, or why did God send this message? He, he, he says it down here in verse 10. Shouldn't I feel sorry for them? They're living in spiritual darkness. In the Hebrew, it says they don't know their, their right hand from their left. They, they don't know the difference between right and wrong. They don't know. Could you imagine living in a city where the people don't know the difference between right and wrong? They literally think that violence is good? Because that apparently was this city's chief wickedness. They said their king was like, the people have to return, they have to turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. So God's like, he, he, he says, the, he's, these people don't know the difference between right and wrong. That is why I sent you. So that they would know. So then, we understand here that God knows how to reach every person on earth through his witness. In, in this case, the witness was Jonah. Jonah. Even if he was in a reluctant witness. In this age, his witness is the church. We've talked about that quite a bit recently. Jesus, before he ascended, he told the disciples and by extension us, because we believe through their word, he said, You will be my witnesses here in Judea, in other, or here in Jerusalem, in other words, your city, and in Judea, in the area, the region, and in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, layer by layer, brick by brick. So this is all I had today. It, it's it's a, <clears throat> it's just a reminder to us that we are to be God's witness in the earth, 
And, uh, you know, it's something that we shouldn't take lightly. Um, we may not know how. We may not, we, may not, we may, may not feel, we may not feel adequate. We may not feel up to the job. We may not, we, it's like, I'll just, I'll just mess it up, Lord. What if people yell at me? What if people make fun of me? It doesn't matter. You know, it, it, I, I've been there. You know, it's like you want, you know, you can get, you get, you feel that urge in your spirit and you're, you know, God's telling, you want me to talk to this person? You want me to talk to them about you? Oh, you're in my hands are clammy and I'm starting to feel the butterflies. But at the end of the day, am I, am I going to be obedient? Am I going to be willing to answer the call? And uh, on the other side, you know, it's not simply just about winning the loss. That's, of course, half of it. The other half of it is just being a witness of Jesus. When, I, when we, we pick other believers up, when we encourage them, when we speak into their lives from the word, we are being a witness of Christ to other believers. It's a reminder to them. So it's possible that many of us aren't um, as inadequate to this as we feel. But I do believe it's important, especially in this time, if we want to see revival in this nation, we are going to have to work on our own sphere of influence, the people that are in our lives. And be willing to speak to them when the Lord tells us to. So, be in prayer for people. You know, pray. You know, go look in that. Look in Ephesians. You know, look at Ephesians chapter three. Look at the or chapter one, the Ephesian prayers, and pray that God would give people a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Pray that uh, their hearts would be ready to receive what it is that God wants to tell them about Jesus through you. Let's go ahead and pray, Father. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for, your, for your, your mission, even though sometimes it's scary and sometimes we, we feel like we're not up to the task. I thank you for the mission. We thank you. It's such an honor, such an honor to talk to people about Jesus. I pray, Father God, you give us plenty of opportunities. I pray you start us out small. Start us out with the people who are, who are ready and willing to listen. Help us to not feel like a failure if they don't listen right away but know that we have planted seed in their heart. And so we thank you, Father. I pray, Lord God, for protection over everyone, uh, every believer in this land. I pray for protection for others also. I pray, Father God, that lives would be spared during all this, all this mess going on, that you would give people plenty of opportunity to come to Jesus. And I thank you, Lord. I praise you. And in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Well, bless you guys, and I will see you next week.